0: This is a Mirakami Minute presented by the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. I'm your host Caleb James, with me as always, Mister Spencer Church. Hey. On these Mirakami Minute episodes, we're a little classier, so you don't get a fancy name.
1: See, I couldn't remember. I was, no, I, no, no, I, was no, really, no I was really interested to see what, I, like, what was going to happen. I was, you know, I was on the edge of my seat.
0: No name for Spencer Church, just Spencer Church. But that's okay. We don't always need to be buffoons. I think that's the perfect word for us, is buffoon. Yeah. Uh, today, we are back with a Mirakami Minute, and this is a whole new series. If we had an actual podcast for this, this would be season two. Yeah. Uh, this time, we're doing-
1: let's let's go British in series two.
0: Series two. Instead of season two. I don't like that at all. That that upsets me. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, we are this time around for series two. That just <laughs> sounds bad.
1: Well, uh, because you gotta have that, you gotta put that English on it. Like
0: <laughs> To cover, Japanese guys work. Yeah. We're gonna put English, more English on it, go yeah. extra English. Yeah, we are back with Haruki Murakami. This time we are reading The Elephant Vanishes. If you listen to the first series, uh, which was first person singular, we did not enjoy that overly. Like, I, what do we give that? Like a C, a B, yeah, B minus? Because it,
1: it wasn't necessarily
0: bad. It just was. It wasn't what I, well, you never read Mirakami before, and who me who's read a lot of Mirakami, I was disappointed. You thought it was alright. Uh you probably liked it a little more than I did because you were not familiar with his work. But knowing his work, I couldn't give that my full blessing as a recommendation for Mirakami fans.
1: Uh I can and I can't remember if uh if I brought this up in any of the episodes uh before with those with that book, but I feel like it is a book that somebody who has written a lot of things and he just had like an idea i wonder if i could do a collection of all
0: first person singular stories
1: like you know and just and seeing how that would work is you know well
0: from what i remember from our ending of that it was uh one original story which was first person singular and then the other eight or nine or how many ever i think there's like eight or nine stories in there how many other stories were left over? Those were just all old stories he had written, and he just found ones that were first-person singular. So it wasn't very special. I think that's also why it was kind of boring at times, because it was just written in a specific style. Uh, these, I would imagine, are going to vary. What we are doing for this season, uh, we are covering parts. instead. Last time, we covered individual stories, but this one has what did you say, like 17 stories? Of, yeah. It's a 307-page book, uh, but there's a lot of stories in here. Some of them are very short, which would be dumb to cover those like as one. So what we're do- going to do today is cover the first two stories, which are fairly short, I think. I mean, they might be longer in regards to the rest in this book, but they're still pretty short. I
1: think one's like 15 and one's like 10.
0: Yeah, So the, and like we were talking off-air, Mirakami's style is such that you can fly through his work. So this first, what also, you know, I'm gonna bring this up later about the translations. But each story has the translator gonna, at the end of it. I was gonna
1: say when we got to that, I was, gonna, I, I like that how they, yeah, each each story got its credit like that,
0: which uh, is gonna be a topic I definitely have some feelings on. So this first story, uh, well, the first two stories were covered the Wind Up Bird and Tuesday's Women, and then the second story is the second Bakery Attack. Uh, so, starting with the wind-up bird in Tuesday's Women, I'm actually gonna read the opening paragraph, because this is specific Mirakami, like, all the way.
1: I I, I had that feeling, um, from just what you've told me about, and just, like, the different things that he likes to write about, that you, like, when we've been talking about it. It's just, like,
0: everything in one thing. Almost everything in one paragraph. I'm in the kitchen cooking spaghetti when the woman calls. Another moment until the spaghetti is done. There I am, whistling the prelude to Rosini's La Gaza Ladra, along with the FM radio. Perfect spaghetti cooking music. Um,
1: The the only thing that's missing in that paragraph, but it's truly after... I got
0: notes. Um, I'll read my notes verbatim here, because I I took these while I was uh, reading this story, because as you'll see, this is a very familiar story to me. The second story I didn't take notes for, we'll just riff on that one, but that one I actually liked uh, more. But... The first paragraph starts off with Mirakami's usual tropes a man cooking, classical music on the radio, in this case Italian music in the way of Rosini's La Gaza Ladra, and a random call from an unknown woman. All this opening scene needs is a whiskey cocktail, a cat, and a strange well, and we'd have a complete Mirakami story in a single paragraph. (laughs) And that is true, because specifically the cat. Yeah, uh, definitely the cat. If you have the cat, that's Mirakami all the way, but. I'll I'll continue that that's where the story See, goes Most
1: of those I knew I didn't the well though I haven't read I haven't came up with anything with I'll the get whale. to that.
0: In typical Mirakami fashion, our as of yet unknown first-person narrator is cooking breakfast alone—spaghetti this go around—and is deciding as a thing, he's cooking spaghetti for breakfast. Another thing is Mirakami likes to have weird, uh, not weird foods, but you know, makes them quirky that they're eating spaghetti for breakfast, kind of thing.
1: Well, he seems like a pasta kind of guy. Yeah, Has it been, hasn't like spaghetti wasn't wasn't that at least one. That's spaghetti? what I'm saying.
0: I think we've yeah, covered that before. So anyway, first-person narrator is cooking breakfast alone and is deciding whether he should ignore the ringing phone. He thinks it could be a friend calling about a new job, which would indicate the protagonist doesn't have a job. Another common Mirakami trope, because all of his protagonists uh, generally are either unemployed or taking time off of work. Uh, they always have a reason why they go on these adventures. I think in Killing Commodore, which I haven't read yet, the guy's an artist, so obviously he can come and go as yeah. he pleases. But he never has to work around this job, usually, uh, in these stories. When he answers the phone and a mysterious woman wants 10 minutes of his time, We found out the narrator is in fact unemployed. We also have a scene with the narrator unable to read a novel because of his racing mind, so he exercises and irons clothes. This exact scene shows up in Mirakami's other works with various amounts of detail thrown in. I've always assumed these guys in Mirakami's books are based on Mirakami himself, which is why these tropes come up so often. Uh, I felt like this in the last uh, series of stories we read in the first person singular, and one of them turns out just to be Mirakami himself in the story. The narrator's wife calls, and they discuss him taking a job writing poetry. He doesn't want to, and she thinks he should be a stay-at-home husband. Yeah, no problem with that. I would love that. She mentions the cat is missing. Another Miracami trope. A missing cat. We gotta find it. There's always a cat. She also mentions that it could be at the vacant house down the street. At this point in the book, which is only a few pages in, I realized that this was the precursor to the Wind-Up Bird Chronicles, if the title didn't give it away. It's been years since I read that book, but from what I remember, it starts off with the protagonist, an unemployed legal assistant named Toru Okada, looking for his missing cat at the behest of his wife. At some point, he meets a weird neighbor, a young girl, who I believe tells him to check an abandoned house in the neighborhood. Sound familiar? That's exactly how the story goes. And now, after having finished the story, because I was only like halfway through when I read that fi- or wrote that final part that's exactly how it starts in the, the wind up bird chronicles and when i looked it up uh i didn't find that that was like the first chapter or anything because uh, i'd have to actually go back and read the first chapter to find out but that's that's the wind up bird chronicles yeah that short story it's just uh what threw me off is why i wasn't able to tell for sure was the writing style but i'm going to get to that at the end of this but, um. Like,
1: maybe, well, maybe he wrote that and then, like, later I on. I think that's was, might have what, And then he was like, oh, I could do that and just yeah. expand it.
0: And you asked about the well. Well, in the Wind Up Bird Chronicles, the abandoned house has a well in the backyard. Uh, and there's a lot of weird magical realism that goes on with him going into this well and being in the well and weird shit happening in the well. And then there's even a story about, like, World War II or in China and there's a well and a guy breaks his leg. Like, all kinds of crazy shit. Has anything good ever happened in a whale? Wishing. Uh, <laughs> you don't think any good wishing happens in whales? People wish in whales all the time.
1: Yeah, but did it ever happen?
0: Come true? I don't know. But, uh, I
1: mean, you know, kids are always getting stuck in them and lost. And they, they keep you
0: hydrated if you're using well Five i have a well in them. i have a well it's not a wishing well it's not one you can fall in but i have well water and i like it so that's pretty much that story so if you really wanted to check that out i would just recommend reading the wind up bird chronicles which is considered to be mirakami's masterpiece it's uh his is magnum that, opus
1: see, so that's like one of the big ones right
0: yeah if you're gonna read mirakami that's one of the top ones you personally i like kafka on the shore more and 1q84 is also really good norwegian wood is more of a normal fiction like it's not too magical and stuff like that but it's very good too the, but those are like these big ones that people always recommend but wind up bird chronicle that's the one you're gonna see on t-shirts and things like that most of the images if you look up mirakami with cats and wells and shit that's from that uh book
1: now is it just one big book or was it like a series i don't know
0: in japan but as far as i know it's just a you know one big book just here. because
1: you, you know you have chronicles it makes you think of like...
0: no it's just one story it's really good i really liked it also, we uh what are we doing now?
1: Oh. oh, so you don't you don't want to talk about the story? No, at like
0: all? um because I would have to be giving my feelings. For me, I you could give your feelings. I can't because I'm gonna be talking about I'd be comparing no. it to the actual novel, because I know where that story goes. You don't. It no. just ends on he's trying to find this cat, he meets this weird neighbor girl, and he's in her backyard, he falls they're talking, she's very weird, the way she's talking about death and stuff. He falls asleep. Uh, It's almost pseudo-sexual, not on his end, though, just her end.
1: It gets a little creepy.
0: It seems like that, but if you read the book, it's not, because this girl's just a weirdo. Uh, Then uh, it just ends. Like, he wakes up, she's gone, the cat, he still didn't find it, and that's how the story ends. So there's not much there. So real quick, I would like to hear your thoughts just on what you thought of the story, Uh, which is really not a story.
1: Yeah, uh, I was saying at the beginning of it, I was enjoying it, because like I said, I, I was feeling, from talking to you previously... I was getting some of the Mirakami that you, you know, like. Yeah. They were getting. And then, uh, I liked, you know, the grand, you know, woman on the phone calling and then she kept on calling and like her just like giving him the business mm-hmm. and like her somehow knowing or, you know, yeah. knowing, knowing different things about it, like how he's just unemployed and.
0: Which is and, also in the novel and there's a twist oh, yeah, to that. yeah. yeah.
1: So, um. You know, I, I, I like that kind of that kind of stuff, and
0: um, she got really sexual on the phone, yeah. and then he's just like, "Click, I don't have time yeah. for this." He just is not interested. Yeah. Well, then, no,
1: actually, because the, the the short story ends, he's back. And like the wife is coming home from work, mm-hmm. and like they're arguing about something, and the phone's ringing. And
0: he won't answer. He it.
1: won't answer it, and then so she won't answer it either. So yeah. he's like, it's just he just keeps on ringing. And he's like, I I count up to like fifteen times until I just forget, it. and I think because I think he's like cooking again or something.
0: Right now, one thing you might—I mean, you haven't read uh, Mirakami's bigger works. So he probably wouldn't get this, but one thing you might notice lacking in this story is like more not descriptive detailed metaphors more unique metaphors um like i said before M- Mirakami's is really good about having like it comes up in this next story uh he's real good about having like these metaphors that make you think in a very different way it, that i mean of course like that's more like a chapter almost of yeah. uh the wind up bird chronicle so you're not really getting that which uh, that that book's full of metaphor and fucking all kinds of stuff but you didn't get that too much in this story but we'll get into the second one and i'm going to give you uh, the reason why i think that is uh the second story is the second bakery attack i really like the story i liked it more than that first one well before well, we like get... you
1: said you it's hard for you to even have opinion yeah, on the, the first one with that with reading the actual book that it basically becomes
0: well i'll give you my reason for not liking that one as much besides the fact that i read the book but in the second bakery attack this is just like a fun story uh, it's ridiculous uh a couple a newlywed couple they wake up in the middle of the night and they just ha- both have this incurable hunger. Yeah. And because they're newlyweds, they haven't gotten their. I like how he describes their routine and they haven't like really set one. They don't have a good shopping pattern. So they have no food in the house. They have like old onions and beer.
1: He also makes me, like, just from this and then the the other book, he makes it seem like the, uh, like, Japanese, like, relationship code, like, you know, like, they're newlyweds, but, like, you think that even though they're newlyweds, they probably had to have been, like, close for a while, like, like, as we get into, like, this story that, that the husband tells the wife, like, how would she have not known this before, like, you know, like, have they, have they barely known each other before they got married?
0: Well, and I'm gonna have to go on just, like, classic Japanese literature I've read. Uh, because it used to always be, you know, the women were kind of like the second class citizen. I think some of that is still a whole, like a holdover in modern Japanese, and I'm not saying like the youth because I don't know, but when this was written, uh, cause I'm not sure, I'm assuming this story was written in the eighties or this novel, you know, this book collection, the short story collection was written in the eighties rather. But I think at the time women weren't really privy to what the men's lives were like or you know what their work life was like like it was very you know separate yeah uh the men were kind of private it's not like how we think of american you know 1950s relationships where it's like honey i'm home oh what, how was your job how are you today oh good what did you do today? like i don't know if in japanese uh relationships if it was like that back then i think that it's probably took a while for, i would imagine now it'd be different but you know, at that time, it was probably more private for the men, like, what they did.
1: I was gonna say, that's a, uh, another thing, too, is, like, uh, and I'm interested in, like, as we go in more of these stories of trying to figure out, like, maybe when they've been written, because, like, in the first one, he's being caught on a landline. Yeah. At home, like...
0: Well, I said this was before the Wind Up Bird Chronicle, so this had to be in the 80s, at okay. least, I, I would think. So I think that came out in the early 90s. And also, like, a thing you see, in uh, even in modern Japanese fiction, I see it in, like, movies and stuff, it seems like a lot of Japanese married men will go to, like, those uh, love hotels and get pretty much prostitutes. And, like, even if the wives know about it, they might be upset, but they don't really let on that they're upset. And it's just kind of like they accept it, even though it's shitty for them. Uh, So I don't know how much of that still goes on, but I've always seen that in uh, fiction, too. But anyway, this story is fun because, like I said, they, they wake up. They're both really hungry. So, they don't have any food in the house, and the husband's like, hey, they haven't been living together for a couple weeks, too, I think. Uh, he's like, hey, why don't we go to find, like, an all-you-can-eat diner or something, you know. This, I thought, was a little strange. She, he said she's, like, old-fashioned, and that that's not acceptable. Like, she wouldn't do that. Yeah. But then what follows makes me, like, really question. It. I was like, why was that unacceptable? What follows is. But he um, he mentions he's only been this hungry one other time. And there's a lot of really good metaphor in this story about him on this boat, and he can see... Like the bottom of like a lake or whatever he's on is like a big volcano. And I'm not going to go too much detail about that. But that's like throughout this whole story. And then um, like it just keeps getting more clear and clear. And then he has also the other metaphor is like this cavernous thing in his like stomach. Like he just is never going to be full. It's never going to be able to fill this hunger. But he tells her he's never he only felt like this one time. And it was when he was in college. And him and his I guess roommate or friend at the time. They didn't have any money because they were lazy and they didn't want to work. So they decide to rob a bakery of bread. So they go in with, uh, they have guns or knives? Knives, I think. Knives. And they go to, uh, yeah, because Japan's not a gun culture. So they had knives and they went in, which again is another thing that threw me off about this story uh, coming up. But So they go in, they rob this baker. They're like, hey, give us all your bread. And he's like, you want money? No, bread. We're hungry. He makes them listen to like some old, I forget what it was, some classic music. Some composer listen to the whole thing, and if they do, they could take whatever they wanted. So they do. They took the whole, like all the as much the, bread as they could the, fill like the days
1: worth of bread.
0: They got. I think he said four or five days worth of bread they yeah. got out of it. They and they ate and stuff. But I mean,
1: like the whole bread, like the bread that was baked yeah. that day. Like they took all, all of that, it. all that bread.
0: But he tells his wife that he thinks he was cursed.
1: Which can you imagine eating bread for three days? That would
0: be terrible. But he, they, he thought that he was like cursed. He doesn't really go and he doesn't even want to tell a story to her. He just doesn't care about it. But she, likes is very persistent. He kind
1: of almost forgot about it. Yeah. Until the hunger came back.
0: But then she's like, oh, don't you understand, you fool? I'm paraphrasing. She didn't call him a fool, I don't think. But it's like, don't you understand? You're cursed, which means I'm with you. I'm cursed. That's why we're hungry. That's why we both have this insatiable hunger. What, we need what, to rob another bakery. Which is
1: a very quick thing to jump to. Yeah,
0: that was her instant conclusion, is we need to rob a bakery. And he's like, uh, why? And it's like, okay. Like, so he finally agrees to it. They go out and they're driving all over fucking Tokyo well, to find an all night bakery. Well, before that, I like because
1: they're having this conversation because, uh, like, how we mentioned, they didn't have anything in the house. I really like the description of, like, the cup, the bear thing. They had, like, six beers, like, a couple yeah. crackers.
0: And, very like, bear and it was and, terrible. And,
1: like, an uh, onion.
0: Yeah. And, like, some butter. Yeah, they, like, barely <laughs> had anything. They go out. And see, this is where I was thrown off. It was like, okay, she wouldn't go to an all night diner, but she's perfectly fine with the idea of going to rob a bakery. Mm. And then she just happens to have a fucking shotgun or like a rifle or something. I think ski, it was a shotgun
1: and ski mask
0: and ski mask. And he's like, what the fuck? Like, you know, he thought New he had went. some secrets. Well, apparently she has some secrets he doesn't know about. And it's never explained why she has this stuff. Uh They drive around for a long time. Can't find a bakery. She decides to settle on McDonald's. They robbed... I love this scene. They go in with the fucking shotgun or rifle or whatever it is. And he holds it up. And he's like, hey, we're robbing you. And she does the talking. And they're like, oh, just take the money. And then, one, it's hilarious because it's like, we, want, we don't want the money. We just want 30 cheeseburgers. We just want 30 Big, big Macs. Macs. 30 Big Macs. 30 Big... They make them lock up. The manager was more upset, one, that they made them close... Like, he didn't... Because that's against protocol. They're not supposed to close. Dude, so he that
1: hit so hard. Yeah. And I, like, uh,
0: I don't that- care if you steal the money. Don't... I can't close. Two, there was a couple of college kids there that were sleeping. And they just sleep through the whole ordeal. They never woke up. And they even... It's mentioned multiple times by the narrator. He's like, I don't know if they're dead. Like, what the fuck was wrong with them? Why are they just sleeping? And then... The third thing I thought was really funny is he'd rather give them the money than the fucking Big Macs because then he has to do, like, the inventory and shit. And I was just like, this is so relatable because it's just like I would rather – not get fucking have to deal corporate. I'd rather just get robbed because he mentions that they're insured. Yeah. If you rob the money, and he's like, no, just take the money and go buy food and you won't be hungry. And they're like, no, we want the fucking Big Macs.
1: The, but the fourth thing is that then after they make it, and they, they take the burgers and they get like two large Cokes and, and, and the she pays for them. them. And they're like, we're only stealing
0: the bread. We only want the bread because she has this idea they have to rob a bakery and this is the closest they get. So she just wants the burgers she's willing to pay for the the coca-cola so then they leave and uh, obviously the protagonist i would be more weirded out by this whole like her having the gun yeah. and the mask and, but he seems like whatever they eat a couple they only ate like six burgers total or yeah. something and then uh they're satisfied i don't know what they did with the rest of the burgers i think that was pretty much how they ended. right and it, it went back to the metaphor with him on a boat looking at the volcano but this time the water was uh it wasn't so clear anymore you see the sky reflecting and Pretty much alluded that the curse was lifted. For now. For now, because he uh, he robbed a uh, uh, pseudo bakery of burgers.
1: You know what I hope we eventually get to? Another, another bakery attack. Another bakery attack? Well, no, because it wasn't this one. Another bakery. What was the name of this one?
0: Second bakery attack. Well,
1: then third
0: bakery attack. Well, third bakery attack. Now, I want your opinion on how you thought this story was written compared to the first story. Because I going back, why I didn't care for that first story so much wasn't because the uh, you know because I read the novel. uh, It's partially that, and I'll tell you why in a second. It's because I didn't. I thought it was written very dryly and boringly, like it was just very you know step by step, which Mirakami tends to do a lot with like the details. But it was. It seemed like extra boring. I don't know if you Um, if you got that. Like it's just like
1: it didn't necessarily seem boring to me. But that was before I knew that it was basically the beginning of, you know, one of his other books. Right. I didn't know But compared
0: to the second story, like, did you see how the pace was faster? Yeah. And how it was like the language was like similar language, but it was just written in a way that just made it more accessible and fun, I thought. Not so textbook. Well, the reason for that is because Jay Rubin did the translation for the second story, which he is uh, one of Mirakami's. Uh, most used translators on his books and he also translated the book version of the Wind Up Bird Chronicle. But the guy who translated the fucking, uh, the Wind Up Bird and Women on Tuesday What what page did that end on? I wonder
1: why it was the Women on Tuesday.
0: I guess that's when the women called him. That story uh, was translated by Alfred Alfred Birnbaum. Uh, I never heard of Alfred Birnbaum. So I, but just from reading that, I could really tell how, like the difference between like somebody who's more familiar maybe with Mirakami's work, translating it versus a guy who, I don't know if that guy is, you know, less familiar with it, or if he just has a different translating style. If he's more, it seems like maybe he's more literal. I'm assuming Jay Rubin either one, incorporates some of his own ideas into some of the Japanese that might not translate properly. So that's why it gives more of an original, unique uh feeling to it. Or if
1: well, you figure, Osa oh, so too, if he's working with Mirakami a lot, they probably have like a good bond. Yeah. Where the, it's like, well, like, Mirakami's like, I know you're probably going to have to change some things. To, you know what I mean? Well, but I feel you like you Jay know- Rubin
0: is better at, uh, or at least he knows how to, translate some of mirakami's metaphors better because like that metaphor about the boat and the volcano stuff i feel like that probably be, like a difficult thing to translate because i'm sure in the japanese it's uh maybe more magical or just has like because in japanese like a lot of this stuff it doesn't have literal meaning like we think of so it's probably like more fantastical and something that is not you wouldn't think of it as real in any you know stretch of the imagination, but like in English, it has to be more literal because that's how we think of things. So I think Jay Rubin does a good job of translating like that versus that first guy. I feel like he just kind of went the literal route and just translated it to English as best as it would translate without having much of a unique flair. And I think that came off as a little stilted in the writing. I'm interested to see how these other stories go yeah. with like because I didn't look through to see what you know how many tra- if every story is a different translator or some come back or I hope Jay Rubin is uh, most of these stories because I really like his translations.
1: Let's say, I can't remember. I I originally read the third one when we thought we were going to do this sooner. Yeah. Um, I can't remember though. Well, see, that was the thing, too. Like, I was kind of forgot for both these stories, but as soon as I got into, like, the first paragraph, I was like, oh, oh, I kind of, you know, I, yeah. I remember what's going on now. Mm. But I still reread them. They were, you know, it wasn't like a, like a slog or
0: anything. No, I mean, it's there. still mirakami. It reads very fast, so. Uh, like I said, I'm interested to see where these go, but uh, the next week's episodes, assuming we don't have any fucking snafus or anything, um, let's see what stories we got coming up. We got the kangaroo communique. It's a weird word. The Kangaroo communique. I'm thinking we could do at least two stories because the second one's like fucking three pages long or five pages. if my math is incorrect. Yeah. Uh, it's not very long. It's six pages. Spencer. Okay. So the next story is uh, after that is six, pa- that's on scene, the 100% perfect girl, one beautiful April morning. That's another thing. I'm glad I I'm going with parts instead of the story titles because that's way too long. Possibly the third story sleep, depending just how much time we go. So we'll cover either two or three stories in the next one.
1: That's why I figured that's probably about gonna be yeah. the episode. You know, the uh, amount of stories each episode probably. So yeah, so we that t- two to three
0: mark. Cause uh, it's supposed to be like short episodes. I don't want to blow them up too much. So yeah, we'll, we'll stick with that. Thank you for listening. This has been a Mirakami minute. <music>